Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hey, this is Chris Webster jumping in right before the show. You are listening to a recording of a live broadcast that I did with Richie Cruz on KNVC 95.1 Carson Community Media. You can listen live every Friday, or sometimes we have it recorded, but most of the time you can listen live at knvc.org forward slash listen dash live. Now onto the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Show with Chris Webster. TAS goes behind the headlines to bring you the real stories about archaeology and answers to your questions. Welcome to the show. All right. Hey, everybody. Chris Webster here from the Archaeology Show. And I'm down here in Carson City at KNVC 95.1 FM, Carson City Community Media. And this is a call-in show, of course, as I've said in the past, and I've got an in-studio guest who I'll introduce in a minute. But in the meantime, feel free to call at any point in time with literally any question about archaeology. <laughs> I mean, we will not discriminate. Hey, jumping back in with my editing hat on for a second. Do not call in. Of course, this is recorded, but I mentioned the phone number several times throughout the show. So again, if you want to listen live, go to knvc.org forward slash listen dash live. Then you can call in. Back to the show. Uh, 775-515-4141 and you can hit us up on the socials too um, at ArcPodNet or at Archeoebby A-R-C-H-E-O-W-E-B-B-Y and when my guest is giving his intro I'll make sure I pull the Twitter feed up because uh, I forgot to do that but we're going to talk about as something I've talked about here in the past when I when I first started broadcasting here in December I keep mentioning I'm a CRM archaeologist or cultural resource management archaeologist and in fact, I, I had somebody who doesn't know anything about archaeology or this whole field look at my profile at some point on something and say, CRM archaeologist, do they, do they, does he do the history of like customer resource management systems? Like, does he do oh. the history of Salesforce? <laughs> oh. And I was like, no. So it's good to define <laughs> these things. Um, so that other person you hear on the line right now, that is Richie Cruz, and he's been a friend of mine probably since I got to Reno yeah. and uh, in, in some of our first projects here. And we've worked together on projects. He's worked for me at my company. Um, we're about to go out on an archaeology project here in March together down in Southern California, and uh, we've just done a lot of things. Richie yeah. and I also have a Facebook live show. If you go over to facebook.com forward slash arcpodnet, A-R-C-H-P-O-D-N-E-T, you can follow that page because the our Facebook live show is basically dependent on Richie and my schedule of being yeah. in town. <laughs> so there's no regularity to it whatsoever. Uh, that's a traveling field archaeologist, which is what we're going to talk about. But for now, welcome to the show, Richie. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, so he's down here in the studio. It's my first in-studio guest, so that's really fun. We don't have to deal with uh, <laughs> phones or anything like that. Ah. Um, but I will deal with the phones when you call. Let me get that unit down here. So... Uh, Richie, why don't you tell us real quick uh, a brief brief history of Richie Cruz, you yeah. know, where you're from, where you went to school, stuff like that. Oh, well, let's see. I'm actually from the Bay Area, oh. you know, San Francisco Bay Area. I am from Alameda, home of the Enter- – used to be home of the Enterprise. Yes. My dad, when he was on the Enterprise, got on in Alameda. Yeah. But when I was on the Enterprise, it was in Norfolk, Virginia. <laughs> yeah, that's where they moved it. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, if you watch Star Trek Four. <laughs> yes, where they keep the naval vessels. <laughs> and yeah. amazingly enough, I went to school at uh, California State University, um, oh, nice. San Francisco State. Nice. Which um, means that I probably wasn't supposed to end up in CRM archaeology, but I did. <laughs> and I'm not even joking. That school actually did not have enough um, credits that if you wanted to graduate with a master's degree mm-hmm. in archaeology, it technically didn't have enough um, credits for it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Because, you know, um, it's a long story, but it's very political. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we won't get into politics on this show. What? Plenty of other shows here on the uh, uh, on the network that get into politics. Yeah, so. we might be more popular that way. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. So, so what? So, how did you how did you get your first job in cultural resource management? Um, let's see. Well, first off, I went to field school and found out about cultural resource management, and then I realized I need a job. <laughs> 
which was not easy since I graduated in, what, 2008? Yeah. So, you know, and unlike some other people I've read about, you know, I, I realized it was going to be a tough job market. So I started sending out all my resumes right away and didn't get any bites for a long time until the Ruby pipeline came along. Wow, the Ruby pipeline. Some people here in Nevada might be at least familiar with that. They probably was a lot of stuff in the news. I was just moving here then, so yeah. I wasn't really watching the news or seeing yeah. local events. So, yeah. Although I have to admit, my very first job was a complete fluke. <laughs> oh, yeah? How? Um, I applied for it, and I had never heard about anything about it. They just called me back and had me come up, like, can you come up tomorrow? The usual story. And I'm like, sure. <laughs> And I get there and I don't know anything. I didn't even know that, you know, I didn't even know about motels because they had booked me a motel room, but I got a motel room of my own <laughs> right next door. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> it, was yeah. also, it was also interesting because it was like my first introduction to like 70s style sort of real culture resource management archaeology. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, what do you mean by that? Oh, well, the um, like this radio station, that first office was also in a home that mm-hmm. had formerly been a pinata shop. And they're showing oh, me nice. around the office, and they open up the fridge full of beer. <laughs> <laughs> and there was like a fire pit they built in the backyard that was full of old screens they were burning up. Nice. <laughs> nice. That sounds about right. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds about right. And it was California, so we'd get back around 3 o'clock, and like, you know, everyone would just crack open a beer. Because, mm-hmm. like, literally the motel was like three blocks away, so it didn't matter if you cracked open a beer there at the motel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my, uh, my first foray into, um, into archaeology and, and cultural resource management archaeology was uh, not quite the same, of what? course. I know. Uh, I actually didn't know anything about it. I, I went to a school that, uh, that didn't teach us about it necessarily. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of a bullet point in an intro class, yeah. uh, but the professors, they didn't really focus on it very much. It was more academically focused. Wow. <laughs> I know. And then uh, I, went, I went just because I, I wanted to do this, and I didn't know what it would do for me, but I, I did a, basically kind of a field school in uh, Africa. Yeah. It was a few months after I graduated college with my BA in anthropology. Yeah. I didn't know what I was going to do with it. Did construction with my brother uh, yeah. and the company his father-in-law owned over the summer. Like, really didn't have any idea what I was going to do with my life. But I went to Africa, and when I came back, I was still in North Dakota with my girlfriend at the time yeah, and I was hanging around the anthropology department trying to figure out what I was going to do. And this guy shows up. Oh, actually timelines a little off before <laughs> I went to Africa. I was still there. Yeah. And this guy shows up uh, ahead of time and he was uh, living in New Orleans and it was uh, yeah. hurricane uh, Katrina. Katrina. Yeah. Oh, I think right. it was, I think it was Katrina. Yeah. Yeah. One of them that went through New Orleans, it had just flooded his whole apartment and the whole office that he worked for. Yeah. So he had come back to North Dakota cause that's where he was from oh. just for a couple of months. And uh, while they were getting everything sorted and he's like, well, have you checked the website shovel bums for any jobs? And I was like, what the heck is shovel bums? <laughs> and uh, shovel bum for those that you don't know is, was actually a term invented by the mother of the guy who owns the shovel bums website. Yeah. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't think that's on the Wikipedia entry. I might be wrong. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't actually know. So um, it's uh, it's interesting. But a shovel bum is basically a traveling field archaeologist, which yeah. we'll get into later. But so shovelbums.org or .com, I think there's both. Wait, um, there is? Yeah, I know there's a .org. Anyway, oh. uh, shovel bums is the website where we all find work, yeah. right? And there's it's one of a couple. There's there's um, arc, arc fieldwork as well, yeah. archaeologyfieldwork.com. But shovel bums is where kind of the most people go it's been around i think 20 years at this point yeah and it's just you know i went on there and uh you know checked it out briefly before i went to africa and then when i got back uh, i looked at it some more and when i got back i actually had uh somebody at the school there had found out a company was working on a project just across the river in uh, east grand forks minnesota oh i know that place yeah yeah (laughs) and uh you know what company i'm talking about too yeah and so they were working over there, and they're like, they needed help, so I got in with them. Yeah. Uh, no per diem or anything, just got in working an hourly job, $10 an hour. They were paying me. Uh, they <laughs> saw me coming because I was like, I get paid to do archaeology. <laughs> and uh, so so I did that. And then after that, while I was there, I was yeah. actually looking at shovel bums, and I found this job in Miami. And that was the next job I went to because I was on this job, uh, that first job for like three weeks, and then it snowed one weekend. <laughs> and when it snows in late November uh, yeah. in, in North Dakota, it's not going away for yeah. like you know six months. Even though it might not snow again for a little while, the snow's not going to melt because it's yeah. already super cold. But it's also probably one of those projects where this work had to stop because of snow. Because I worked in, because I worked in the Now Junction, Nevada, and the oh, snow yeah. kept and it kept going yeah. no matter how much snow there was, unless we were about to be snowed in. Right. 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 <laughs> So anyway, um, 
Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to remind people frequently throughout this show, uh, just because yeah. we want to talk to people, um, we to do? call in. We do indeed. Uh, so if you're anywhere in the United States and you're yeah. listening to this on KNBC's radio station, I'm not going to put the website out there because if you're listening to this, you're, you yeah. already know it. Uh, 775-515-4141. Uh, we are standing by to take your calls uh, here at KNBC 95.1 FM in Carson City, Nevada. So anyway, uh, moving on. So, yeah. you know, we, we have uh, – everybody has a different origin story yeah. in, in CRM. But let's go back a little bit and talk about cultural resource management archaeology to begin with. So yeah. uh, there's a big difference – People don't realize it, but when, when you talk to somebody that doesn't know what you do and you say, oh, I'm an archaeologist, they usually say, like, what university do you work for? Yeah. You know, something like that. But we don't work for universities. No. And, and it's kind of disparaging a little bit, but we call it academic archaeology and professional archaeology. Yeah. That's not to imply that academics aren't professionals, but it's They're just – Well, <laughs> that's another discussion. <laughs> but, it's, uh, but, it, but it does separate. It's, it's basically people who – work in the field for a living and yeah. people who whose primary job is education but they work in the field occasionally yeah. right i mean i think that's the major distinction there well it's kind of like um teaching about writing and actually being a writer that's probably like <laughs> offensive isn't it <laughs> that's like you know being a coach or being a player right yeah, yeah kind of no not really yeah kind of <laughs> but so anyway cultural resource management archaeology uh it's done in advance of federal funding or permitting um as required by the national historic preservation act uh, at least on federal projects states have their own regulations yeah Uh, people listening from california probably familiar with or at least heard of the california environmental quality act which is actually more restrictive than the federal regulations which is okay you can't get less restrictive because then the federal regulation takes over but you can get more restrictive and do whatever you want basically (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so some of your first projects were they? Um, well, Ruby Pipeline was one of your first ones. That but was that the was, second one. <laughs> that was the second one. That yeah. was in Nevada. Yeah. Um, but you were working in. Uh, you have worked in California. What other states have you worked in? Um, let's see. Well, obviously, I worked in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I worked in East Grand Forks. Ah, <laughs> uh, there you go. Yeah. Apparently, I was the. You, know, you were there before they had the sushi place and Comet Pizza, or wait, the pizzeria and the REI. <laughs> uh, I remember the REI. Ah. Yeah, but not the other stuff. Yeah. yeah. So. And let's see. I worked in Idaho. Yeah. Oh, I worked in Utah. I want to say I worked in Arizona, but I didn't. Mm. God, where else? Let's see. Minnesota, Minnesota, North Dakota. Yeah. I want to say Wisconsin a little. So basically sure. the Midwest, the Plains, and the Great Basin. Nice. And nice. California. Yeah, and that's how this job works. Uh, people don't realize it, but you know, there's very few permanent jobs in this field no. uh, because companies are typically relatively small yeah. and they have a principal investigator that sometimes that's also the owner. Yeah. And, and even if, even if you're working for a massive multi-billion dollar corporation, chances are the, the archeology span department is also really small. Yeah. It's like, it's like a company within a company almost. Yeah. Right. Except a company that's always in the red, <laughs> <laughs> at, at least at the big ones. Um, but anyway, so you, you've got a few people, you know, writing proposals and doing business development yeah. or at least one person. And then you've got maybe a couple of people that are managing projects. And then you might have one or two people that are kind of like permanent field technicians just on staff to do smaller projects and things like that. Oh, you're forgetting also the GIS dudes. They're usually permanent. Yep. you got people doing GIS, which is geographic information systems, so mapping, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so they're all doing those things. And then when they get a project where they need 15 people for three <laughs> weeks, you know, yeah. uh, other businesses would have to be like, how are we going to hire these people to, to satisfy this demand? Yeah. But other businesses typically will expand and expand permanently. Yeah. You know, unless there's a huge drawdown in the economy and then they'll lay people off. But typically, if you're hiring more people, you're expanding for a reason. But in archaeology, you're expanding for a single project and then you're coming back down to the lower staffing level. So you need the shovel bum or temporary field technician, (laughs) even crew chiefs uh, that we have in this field. Yeah. So it's essentially what I mean, I've been doing this for uh, something like 12 years now and 12, 13 years, actually. Oh, 10 for me. Yeah. 10 for Richie. And I own my own company. I've been a principal investigator, project yeah. manager, crew chief. You know, Richie's done a ton of things. Yeah. And yet we're both basically going on this project next <laughs> month, you know, essentially as shovel bumps. <laughs> oh, my God. You know, yeah. I just thought of something. So, what do you explain to people when you tell them when they ask you what you do? Because the way I say it is like I just, you know, when they go build something, I just make sure they don't ruin anything historic. Yeah. You yeah. Know? I mean, it's the easiest way I found to explain it to lay people. 
I mean, that's basically it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're out there to uh, essentially protect any cultural resources that are out there, and sometimes yeah. that means physically protecting them if we're monitoring. Mm-hmm. You know, like putting up a barrier around them or making sure the bulldozers and come nearby. Yeah. Or. Uh, simply recording the data yeah sometimes you gotta kind of it's kind of necessary evils here but that's what you're right that's what i tell people is that we're protecting the resources and sometimes like i said protection especially in a state like nevada with so much material here yeah sometimes just recording it just means let's write everything down about it you know and then they can they can uh take in the uh uh take the bulldozers in and and take it down now some (laughs) people would disagree with that but that's yeah, how the current regulations are. Oh running. my God, it's like those houses that um, you and our um, wanted to tear down, but they moved. Yeah, the one yeah. right by the freeway. Well, similar, except we don't move archaeology sites very often. That's true, unless they're structures like that. Yeah, but have you seen that house? It's one of the houses is actually on Arlington. Oh, really? Yeah, right yeah. near the um, right near Plum. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. you know, my very first crew chief, when someone asked him what he did for a living, you know, what he'd tell them, "What's that?" He'd tell them he was doing God's work. Oh my God! Because <laughs> he didn't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's the thing too is a lot of people don't want to talk about it, um, which is weird. I think yeah. you know. I mean, yeah. I love talking about it. Yeah, you know, which is why I'm here on a radio show. Yeah, you know, it's also why sometimes most people hear more about archaeology from like um, you know, alternative sources. We'll call mm-hmm. them. You know, like, you know, yeah. people who want to attribute everything to aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's uh, that's why I think what we do and getting the stuff out on the radio and yeah. getting the stuff out on podcasts, like with the Archaeology Podcast Network and the other yeah. great podcasts out there, is really education. Yeah. You know, and that's why Richie's down here with me now, you know, so we can <laughs> talk and, and basically tell people what we do and, and why we do it. You know, and and what I would love to see is a real and and I've talked to TV show producers about this because if you're online at all and you have an online presence and I do because of the, you know, podcast network and stuff like that. uh, I actually just had I didn't tell you this yet. I I was actually (laughs) just approached by uh, a producer the other day. Yeah. And he set up a call. So I'm going to talk to him next week. Yeah. But they're looking for a host. A lot of times I think they see a picture of me and they're like, he's got a face for radio. So (laughs) maybe he knows people, though. But this guy clearly hasn't looked me up yet. But he found me somehow and said he wants he's looking at me as a host for a TV show talking about the um, comparison between Kitty Hawk uh, and the Wright brothers, and uh, what was it, the Gustav engine, I think it's called, which was kind of an early competitor. Like some people uh. say that that was invented before the Wright brothers got yeah. their stuff going, and I don't really know a lot about the history, yeah. but they've got this whole show planned out, and they want somebody who has an aviation and an archaeology background, both of which I have. Oh, yeah. I know. It's like, how many archaeologists out there even have a pilot yeah. certificate or have an aviation background? You know, yeah. So I was like, I'm kind of ideally suited for this. But that being said, a lot of archaeologists would, uh, and I've talked to ones that have, like yeah. they get these emails or calls from producers and they're like, they don't even want to talk to them because they, they're familiar with seeing the shows that, that we talk about, yeah. like ancient aliens and stuff like that, and people getting misrepresented. <laughs> and my thought is, listen, I'm strong enough in my online persona, I think, yeah. that people understand what I'm saying, that if somebody misrepresents me, I'm, I would rather it's me on the show because I know what I'm going to say. Uh, I'd rather it's me on the show yeah. and then people can contact me directly because they probably will yeah. and then say, um, you know, hey, you, uh, you're, full of, you're full of crap, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you know what? And then I can talk to them and have a good conversation. Yeah. Where if it's somebody else that they found to host a show that maybe doesn't have a solid background in the, in the subject or whatever, they're just not a good representative for the, for the industry. Uh. You know? So I, I, I do want to do it. Because you're not going to get rich and famous doing some show no. about the Wright brothers. You know, it's no. not about that. No. It's about getting the information out there and educating the public. But more importantly, even if the Wright brothers weren't the first one, they were definitely the first ones to come up with a controllable plane that you could yeah. fly around. Because yeah. obviously there are people who had, like, basically gliders, effectively, is what yeah. they were, because you couldn't control them. Well, and they were the first ones to essentially operationalize it and commercialize yeah. it. Yeah. So, I mean, they already had a business. Yeah. Oh, they that's saw too. this, you know. So, yeah. I mean, it's weird to go from bicycles to airplanes, but, yeah. you know. <laughs> Whatever works for you. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, typewriters to guns. Remington. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally. So ha. I always forget that's the same Remington. Yeah. 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 It's weird. It's weird. Oh, my God. You know, and Remingtons are not the best typewriters, by the way. <laughs> I can say that from experience. Richie is is definitely into typewriters. So. <laughs>
Hey everybody, Chris Webster here to talk about one of the latest supporters to the Archaeology Podcast Network, The Motley Fool. Now, I've been investing in the stock market through various applications for a few years now, and everybody who's listening to this can benefit from that sort of investment for the long-term financial planning. And also, I know the host of these podcasts can benefit because as archaeologists, like none of us get retirement, <laughs> we all have to kind of fend for ourselves. So investing in the stock market is a good idea, but not everybody can do it. And look, we get it. The market is complicated and confusing, and to many of us, it simply doesn't make sense. In fact, where do you even start? Take all of the guesswork out of it with the Motley Fool Stock Advisor. The Motley Fool has been around for over 25 years and has been spot on in recommending some of the world's most important companies before they hit the big time. I'm talking about Amazon, Tesla, Netflix, Starbucks, all before they exploded in value. With their easy to use and super informative service, Stock Advisor, you could join the ranks before they potentially find the next big thing. After all, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023. And no need to be intimidated by financial jargon or market complexities. As the name suggests, these guys don't take themselves too seriously. Now, finances, that's a different story. Their friendly and relaxed approach has helped over 700,000 people move closer to financial independence, all while beating the market and having fun. New members can access Stock Advisor for only $89 for their first year, a full $110 off the full list price. Don't sit on the sidelines and think about what could have happened. Visit fool.com slash APN to start your investing journey today. That's $110 discount off of $199 per year list price. Membership will renew annually at the then current list price. So again, check the link in the show notes of this episode. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Richie, you've worked, like you said, across the Midwest in the Great Basin. Yeah. I've worked in some of those areas overlapping. I've never worked yeah. in Wisconsin or Idaho. Um, but I have worked in Utah, New Mexico, you know, Washington, <laughs> Oregon, um, California, Nevada, uh, North Dakota, Minnesota. Oh, interesting. You know, what's Vermont, interesting? Florida. What's interesting is that the company you work for in Utah, like, you know, some people have had good experiences with that company and some people have had bad ones. You know, that goes to say that's probably true for almost every CRM company out there or environmental <laughs> firm. Yeah. Or any business, really, quite frankly. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, we all have different experiences and it's, I, I just want to, I think when I get talking about TV, the thing I wanted to mention was what I'd love to see out there yeah. is really kind of a, kind of a reality show uh. about archeologists. I'd love, I'd love to see a full field season. Everyone says, has that idea. Everyone. <laughs> I know. And it's not unique. No. It just has never been done. Well, you the know? problem is all the confidentiality, confidentiality agreements, yeah, but it could be done. Yeah, it could be done without having the client or the area that you're in actually in focus. Because what I'd like to see done is actually follow a student who's finishing up their their senior year of college right now. Ah. You know, because right now we're 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 if you're listening to the recorded version of this, we happen to be in February yeah. of 2019, and so you're 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 following a college student who's finishing up their degree right now, and they're searching for jobs and they're figuring yeah. out what they want to do. You're following somebody who's been doing this for a few years. Yeah. Um, you're following somebody who just recently started in a leadership position, maybe like a crew chief. And then you're also following somebody whose later career, maybe a project manager or a principal investigator. And you're following all of them. And just it's really the backstories. I don't care about the front stories. I don't care about True. who they're working for or what land they're working on or who the yeah. client is. I mean, you can definitely you can definitely shoot video in a way that doesn't show people where you're at. True, you know, but is there enough drama for a reality show? Oh, you know there's enough drama for a reality so? show. Yeah. I remember, what was it, Southwest Airlines had that um, reality show a few years ago. Did they ago? really? Yeah, where, you know, it was like focusing on the gate people, oh. the people at the gate, like the ticket agents. <laughs> you know, you got to see people at their worst. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I think with all the travel that we have to do and the challenges of, you know, yeah. living in a hotel room, especially if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And, uh and all that. I think it would be not only interesting, um, but I think it would be entertaining. And I think it would let people know how archaeology and heritage is really done in this country. Because yeah. while a lot of people you talk to, they're like, oh, I always wanted to be an archaeologist or I was always interested in archaeology. You know, they, they yeah. find it interesting. But then when you have something on the ballot that says, hey, we need to pay for this museum or we need yeah. to pay for this, you know, site records uh, repository or we yeah. need to pay for whatever it is. 
they're like, ah, do we need to? You know, I'm thinking, I don't think I'm going to pay the extra half a penny, you know, yeah. per month to get that done. Oh, you know, I forgot who I was talking to recently. I was talking to someone who was asking me, like, how old does it have to be to be, like, you know, considered eligible to be, um, you know, a historic resource? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was like 50 years. And they're like, wow. My yeah. God. That's like late. That's like, I don't know. What is 50 years ago? 69? 69, yeah. 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 And they're like, my God, that seems really recent. Yeah. You know, but of course, that's probably an outgrowth of the way the law came about. Yeah. Uh, and I never used to think about this, and except it's getting closer and closer. Six more years, I'll be able to record myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, because um, what should we call it? Like this building we're in. The reason, you know, the law that covers this building makes sure that you can't, like, tear it down. is the same right. building that allows for, like, you know, recording of historic resources. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I don't know. I can't remember if this building's on the National Register. I don't think it's on the National Register, but it's on the State Register of Historic Places. Wait, we have sure. a State Register? Yeah, almost all states do. Oh. Yeah. So that that covers the state laws and regulations. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how that meshes if a federal permitting sort of issue had to come yeah. in here. Probably eminent domain comes into play. Interesting. But if it's not on the national register, that might be more difficult. But if something's already on the state register, there's a, at least probably a better chance of getting on a national register. Yeah. But that's a good point uh, to talk about next, which is um, is what that even means. Because what we do yeah. as archaeologists, we don't just record stuff that's 50 years old. Yeah. I mean, we do, but what we're also doing is we're evaluating it for inclusion or eligibility for listing on the National Register of Historic Places. Yeah. Not the state register. If we're on federal land, it's the National Register of Historic Places. So yeah. we don't necessarily have to nominate these places. In fact, most places, most sites no. are not nominated, right? No. <laughs> and we determine eligibility, and eligibility is determined based on four different factors. Um, was oh. it a... Was it a uh, important associated with an important person? Yeah. Was it associated with an important event in national history? Was it associated with um, a certain style of architecture or something like that? Yeah. Or was it was it was it a unique style of architecture? I should say, or mm. or an initial representation of that architecture? Because yeah. it could be like a Victorian house, which is not <laughs> special, but is it the first Victorian house in that area? Oh, that's true. You know, and, or was it, or was it built or designed by somebody who became a famous architect, you know, yeah. something like that. Or so, is it the last of its kind? Or is it the last of its kind? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then the final one is data. You know, does it have a high data potential for data that we don't already have? Like if somebody finds an archeological site buried in the ground and they, they start digging up part of it yeah. is, uh, if it just if it turns out this is just a wealth of information and we're finding out stuff that we don't have a lot of um, information for, yeah, then you can list it on the National Register of Historic Places in order to protect it, so we can do further research. Yeah, so so that's what we do essentially, you know. <laughs> and, and a lot of people forget that they're just like a lot of archaeologists forget that. I think they're yeah. just like, well, we're going to go out there and record everything fifty years old, but you know, you ask them why, and they're like, because um, I was told to. Yeah. You know, like they don't really understand. Well, especially if it's something that's outside their interest or specialty. Sure, sure. That's another weird thing to me yeah. is the way the education system works is is in your undergrad, you kind of generalize. You yeah. know, you, you generalize a lot. But if you go get a graduate degree, like a master's degree, then uh, you typically have to focus on something for yeah. your for your research, right? Yeah. And uh, unless you went into a program like mine, which was even though I focused on a, a particular site that happened to be a prehistoric site, yeah. my general degree was basically in cultural resource management. So you yeah. know, I had a lot of laws, and I took environmental law classes yeah. and a bunch of other stuff to kind of help me be a better overall archaeologist. Yeah. And but your traditional master's program, you're going to go study something very particular. Yeah. Uh, you know, very focused in maybe one site in one area, one time period, <laughs> and that you're either going to love it or hate it, and you're going to do that. You're going to focus on that. You know, probably for somewhat the rest of your career. Well, and, sort of. Well, it depends if you go to academic archaeology, but if you go into CRM, you know, no one cares if you studied Mayan pottery. Well, that's my point. You're, you're going to focus <laughs> mentally on it, but like, let's say something relevant to this country, you you focus on historic mining features or something yeah. like that. You know, historic mining in the, the late 1800s in the Virginia range, you know, yeah. that's what your focus was. So if you do that, that's great and all, but you have to understand as a CRM archaeologist um, or somebody in cultural resource management, you have to be, you have to know everything, yeah. you know, because you might, your next project, like, honestly, we're going on this project in March and I don't even know what we're going to find. You yeah. know, my guess is a lot of prehistoric stuff because of the area, yeah. but I have no idea about the area. Like, I don't know what was there. I don't know what kind of historic stuff we could find. I know that if we're near some kind of road, there's a lot of transportation-related things out there. Yeah. So we could find old car parts and things related to uh, when people would break down or they had a long journey, they would often pull off in the road and have lunch and, you know, and hang out for a little while. 
you could find stuff like that. Um, I don't know if there's any sort of wagon-associated features. I have no idea. Interesting. Yeah, I have no idea. So, so we have to be prepared yeah. to really find anything. Yeah. You know, because we don't discriminate. If it's over 50 years old, we record it. And then if it meets one of those criteria that we mentioned earlier, but it's not over 50 years old, yeah. you still record it. Yeah. Oh, you, you know? should probably mention what law those are, because obviously those criterions A through D, but what part of the law? Which law is it part of? So that's part of the National Historic – well, it's not listed in the National Historic Preservation Act. No. It's part of the uh, – um, was it section? Wait. Um, well, section 106 is part of the National Historic Preservation Act. That is the single paragraph that says you will uh, assess the effects or impacts of a federal undertaking on a cultural resource. Yeah. But the National Register criteria comes from the National Park Service. Oh. Yeah. So, because I think they run the register. Oh. Cor- correct me if I'm wrong. Call in if you're an archaeologist. <laughs> um, I did not come prepared to say that it is interesting though this is like the only state i think that's actually torn down a um building on the historic register <laughs> oh that can't be true yeah they tore down the mapes <laughs> i know but there's got to be lots of ones that were torn down on the east coast oh really yeah i mean oh, i'm just right. guessing i don't even know interesting yeah so anyway uh <sighs> it's uh 12 30 uh, almost wow really yeah i mean i should say exactly what time it is because this is radio and all but wow. it's uh 12 28 um call in 775 515 Four one four one. You're listening to KNVC, Carson City Community Media, ninety five point one FM in Carson City, Nevada. <laughs> and this is Chris Webster. I've got my guest Richie Cruz here. Hello. Uh, we're both archaeologists, and um, and we're we're happy to take your questions about archaeology, yeah. or federal archaeology, contract archaeology, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Uh, pretty much anything. So, <laughs> Richie, what is what is one question that you get most from people who are not archaeologists? Oh, my God. What's the coolest thing you've ever found? Yes. And, you know, I always tell people the exact same thing. It's a a T-Rex? No. (laughs) (laughs) I tell them that I found a cooler full of PBR at the bottom of a Jeep trail. Literally, it was the end of the day, and we were coming down a hill back towards the truck. And there was, like, someone went to kick over this this foam cooler top. They thought it was just like laying there on the ground, but it was actually covering up a cooler. Oh, man. And it was full of like at least 10 year old PBR. It had to have been at least 10 years old. <laughs> and we took it and we drank it. Oh, man. <laughs> Did you at least cool it down first? Well, it was in the ground. That's the reason why the cooler was, oh, the cooler yeah. was buried. No, oh, okay. That way they'd stay cold. <laughs> nice. Nice. Because <laughs> most yeah. of the other stuff, it's just like, eh. Right, right. Yeah, it's nice to have a story like that because uh, yeah. I think. I think I might have to start saying something similar because, yeah. you know, you find money, too, occasionally. I found $20 <laughs> bills more than a few times in the field, just like laying there. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never forget that one time in South Carolina, we found one. It was relatively, I don't know, I'd say maybe 30, 40 feet off the road. Yeah. But it was a $20 bill in, in an area that's generally wet, either from humidity or just moisture or rain. Yeah. But this was like a crisp, new $20 <laughs> bill with no fold in it, just like laying in a forest. Oh, wow. Bank robbery. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we seriously like look around for a bag of money. <laughs> oh my God! You know what you, you you used to find like years ago when we mm. both first started, but you don't find anymore. What's that? Porn on the side of the road. Oh yeah. You know magazines because you know the truckers would throw them out where they got home. Wow. But now you know, thanks to smartphones, you know you don't need that anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's all digital now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the the reason I bring that up is because I knew you were going to say that. Uh, oh, did you? The, well, that's the question we all get, right? Yeah. Is what's the coolest thing you've ever found? And the thing I like to bring up to people, again, just from an educational standpoint, is it's not about the things. No. It's about the stories the things can tell you, right? Yeah. It's about the whole picture that you get. That's why I try to tell – like, for example, I met yeah. this guy this week at this business event. Actually, I think it was last week. And, yeah. uh, and he, he, I introduced myself as an archaeologist that does these and this and this. And at the yeah. end, when we were just kind of mingling – He's like he gave me his card and he's like archaeologist and I want to talk to you and I was like okay cool and uh, yeah he's like I'll he's like I handed him my card and he's like I'll send you an email or something but we've got these uh, Greek <laughs> artifacts that my grandfather brought back back in the forties or something like that yeah and I just want to know what their value is and I was like oh okay that's what they got. <laughs> I was like first off I don't know anything about Greece yeah and I was like second you're not going to generally find an art an archaeologist that is going to assess value. Yeah, because um, we don't do that. Well, more importantly, we're not the Antiques Roadshow. We're not yeah. right, and and there's a there's a fine line. It's really a fine line between yeah. antiques and artifacts, right? Yeah. I mean, most of that stuff on the mm. Antiques Roadshow, if it were found 
on an archaeological site or within yeah. a historic resource that you're recording, yeah. it now becomes an artifact, and you're not going to own it. It's yeah. going to go to a museum. It's going to go to some kind of repository. People are going to learn from it. Well, the easiest way I think about it is that you know artifacts themselves, the actual objects, are more the um, province of um, of like historians. Mm-hmm. We are actually interested in the sites, which is why we are always pissed off when people take artifacts because without artifacts, there is no site yeah. unless there are features. Right, and that's what I was talking about. Yeah. So we look at the whole picture. Yeah. The artifacts that are there, even the, the, the broken pieces of artifacts and the whole artifacts and things like yeah. that, they all go to help tell that story. And when you remove something from one of those sites, especially yeah. the fun, pretty stuff, yeah. uh, which probably tells us more information, <laughs> then that's less that we can tell about the whole picture of yeah. the area. So it's really damaging to the site. Oh, my God. You know what's cool? The 3D – I mean, you know. Speaking of artifacts and stuff, or as I like to call it, junk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the 3D printing technology is getting so good that they almost produce, like, arrowheads. They're almost as good as, like, you know, if you've actually flitting at them yourself. Yeah, they can. Yeah. They can, yeah. We've got one where I my office is that uh, can kind of do that sort of quality. Yeah. You know? And it's like, you know, and yet people still want to collect these little bits of junk for, like, no reason. They're just going to end up in a shoebox underneath, like, you know, underneath, like, someone's bed. Yeah, and you know, the, the one thing is, I mean, I, I probably get uh, raked over the coals by other archaeologists <laughs> for saying this, but I almost respect people more for just wanting to find this stuff and sell it, because at least they're doing it for a reason, right? Yeah. So, you know, they want to know what the value is. They're going to put it on some eBay. I'm not saying sell artifacts, but at least yeah. that's some kind of reason. The people that go out and pick this stuff up and then put it in their house in some sort of box on the wall <laughs> or, or uh, in a jar on their mantle or yeah. something like that, that does nothing for anyone. Yeah, you know, it's it's not out in the system anymore, and it's it's no longer visible. Nobody knows where it came from, and the context, which is the most important thing, is now completely gone. Yeah. So you know, that's we could sit here and talk about laws and stuff all day because if you're <laughs> picking this stuff up off of federal land, yeah, it's illegal. You could go to jail and you could get fined. Yeah. You know, there there have been people in the past, especially out here in the West, that have been uh, raided by the FBI. <laughs> And if they're like career, you know, pot yeah. hunters, we call them. Yeah. And uh, and they're out there finding all this stuff. And I, I've heard, I mean, you, you always hear more than a few stories where people have committed suicide, older people, yeah. because their entire life is about to be ruined. Because I think they kind of knew what they were doing was wrong. Yeah. You know, and then this FBI raid happens. And then all of a sudden, you know, you're facing 30 years of jail time for accumulated sentences. Well, the thing that always gets me interested is the fact that people who um, do the looting, like, say that they're doing it because they want to, like, you know, become closer to people, you know, the cl- closer to history. But right. it's like, why would the object be bring you closer to history than, like, the place? Yeah, yeah. It's, you know? it's like spend some time in the location yeah. and, and try to think what it was like at the time period it was used. Yeah, like, you know, what's more interesting, going to Gettysburg or finding a little lead bullet? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that being said, I mean, the artifacts do kind of connect you a little bit you know when you when you actually get to this is why museums exist you know museums and and this is this is another reason why i have i have an issue with museums right i I think a lot of this stuff should just be virtual that way you can take you know you can go to a take a 3d um, tour of a museum but the museum can take the artifacts they have 3d scan them and put them in context right because it's cheaper to do that than it would be to make like a whole diorama which is some of the most interesting things at museums True. are the big, full-scale, life-size, you know, things with artifacts in yeah. context with with people using them, right? Yeah. Those are the most interesting things, and those are the things people focus on. Uh, but a lot of museums, they just have glass cases full of things. <laughs> and because they're in glass cases, because they're hidden behind those glass cases, we then assess value to them. Yeah. And then so now this thing becomes valuable, yeah. even if it's valuable from a they-have-it-and-I-don't standpoint, even if it's not monetary. <laughs> Now, when somebody sees something similar out in the field, they're out hiking, they're out, yeah. you know, hunting, doing whatever. They want to pick it up because they yeah. saw it as something valuable, even though it might not have any actual monetary value. See, like if you find an Elko projectile point, good luck selling that. <laughs> you know, there's literally thousands of them. I know. So, you know, it's interesting. I mean, not to get too philosophical, but I remember a story years ago. This garbage man was like going around making his rounds, and he picks up this little leather bag and he opens it and there is like one of the first like literally he's looking there was an old camera in it a nikon uh-huh. and then you know he's looking at the serial number because he was like a nikon collector yeah. it's like one of the first nikons ever made so he goes up to the door of the lady you know whose garbage can it is and he's like 
you know, this is really valuable. You probably shouldn't be throwing out. And she takes the, she takes the bag. She goes up to her garbage can, forcibly throws it back in. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So he takes it <laughs> and he auctions it off for like a six digit figure, you know, which all shows that um, value is relative. And so is um, artifact to, you know, significance relatively. Not it to get is. too a story, not to get too uh, philosophical. No, but you're right. You know, people who are closer to the object uh, are going to place more value on it. Yeah. You know, that's why in communities where um, Native Americans are really, really involved in the community. Yeah. You know, and really involved, they, then they, they place, obviously inherently for Native American artifacts, they place a lot more value on it because yeah. it's their ancestors, right? But in areas where they're especially more involved, uh, you know, there's just that... They're, they're really connected to it. Yeah. They're really connected to it. And you have to place it. But that's not just Native Americans either. Yeah. We, there's historical artifacts and sites going back 400 years in this country yeah. from all sorts of ethnicities. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, oh, my God. It's like the um, mid-century modern group we're both a part of. Like some yeah. people look at those buildings. They're like, oh, my God, it's so beautiful. They ought to be preserved. The other people are like, man, those are ugly as, you know, those are ugly as S. You know, we should tear them down. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Yeah. Or alternatively, I was actually talking to an archaeologist about this. He's like, man, you know, if you start messing around with the 50-year cutoff, you know, <laughs> you start like, you know, that means like early space race stuff isn't preserved. Or like, you know, or like the um, test range where they did like, you know, where, um, whatchamacallit, did the um, first like, you know, hypersonic or supersonic like, you know, flights took place. Right, right. You know, and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, is that worthy of preserving or not? Yeah, it it just depends because when you look at going back to the National Register criteria, important events yeah. to national history. Yeah. And important events to national history are things like, you know, if you could preserve, that that's a good question with like the first um the first uh, you know, jet sonic uh, yeah. breaking the sound barrier like Chuck Yeager. Yeah. You know. Oh, that's sure. what I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, so glamorous get Glennis, the plane yeah. that he did it is in the Smithsonian. Yeah. It's in the Air and Space Museum. I just saw it last fall ah. so or when was that yeah somewhere but so that plane is in the air and space museum but the airport's not oh it's not you know no i don't think so wasn't it edwards air force base or yeah. near there or was yeah. it was it edwards or was it one of the um dry lakes in southern california yeah i can't remember i think it was an air force base yeah but either way uh those kinds of things from the military they don't preserve bases like that they should <laughs> they should <laughs> and sometimes that stuff ends up getting preserved because of where it's at for example yeah. Uh, I went to uh, boot camp in San Diego, California, yeah. and that particular recruit, recruit training command for the Navy yeah. was closed down about four months after I went there. Oh, they were in the process of closing it down. I just happened to be one of yeah. the last companies to go through there. Yeah. So now, when I, I went down there, uh, actually after you and I were finishing a project in in El Centro, California, <laughs> about four years ago. <laughs> Uh, I went down there to San Diego to meet a couple more people that were going to be working on the project. Yeah. I don't know if you went with us on that. We went to dinner there, actually. We went to dinner on the base where oh. I went to boot camp. Oh, no, then I was not there. Okay, yeah. So <laughs> because the base now has been sold, and there's there's still some areas that are used oh, by wow. the military, but most of the base has been sold to development, and they've preserved some of the buildings. Yeah. They've preserved some of the things, but now it's like there's housing there. There's Ooh. It's kind of like a hipster shopping center yeah. with like restaurants and stuff like that. And and that was the base I was on, so not all of it was preserved. Oh my god, that's like um, that's like Mountain View. There's actually like the largest wooden structure I think um still in existence is there. Right. It's um, what was it? Is the hangar that they used for the dirigibles? Yeah. yeah, yeah, which is super cool. Which is where the word hangar comes from. Oh, they used to hang balloons in there, and, oh, I didn't and, know that. and like uh, um, uh, zeppelins. Oh wow, <laughs> and I might be wrong, but I think it was in the J.J. Abrams movie. Oh yeah, yeah. Where they're um, where they're like in the sh- they're in their hangar, like putting getting on shuttles and stuff. Nice. Yeah, I think nice. that's that hangar. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Ha. Well, anyway, history. Yeah. It's always fun. We like talking about it. Hey everybody, Chris Webster here to talk about WildNote, WildNoteApp.com. So if you're on the system, check it out. Archaeology, environmental, everything. If you've got a company that does all those different verticals, then please check out wildnoteapp.com. It's your one-stop solution. You might be using Survey123, Collector, things like that. They have their limitations. WildNote can do a lot of things that those can't do, and it can do it for your entire company. So again, wildnoteapp.com to replace all those other things. 
Hey, Chris, back again to talk about membership at the Archaeology Podcast Network, arcpodnet.com forward slash members. It's not cheap or easy to put all this on for you guys for free. So for those of you that want to step up and support at $5, $10, $20 a month or 30% off that if you get that for a year, check it out plus extras at arcpodnet.com forward slash members. Now back to the show. What's one thing we don't do, Richie? Um, what, what do we don't do that we always get a question about? Oh, um, have we found Atlantis yet? <laughs> no. Dinosaurs. Oh, that's, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> Uh, so we often get the we often get the question. That's oh, true. have you found anything? You know, any dinosaur bones or anything like that? It's another thing I want to make sure I should probably just put it in the introduction for this show. Oh, you should. Yeah, because uh, archaeologists don't do dinosaurs. That's what we always say. Um, because people confuse, and it's understandable. You yeah. know, if you're not part of the system, but people confuse archaeology with paleontology. Yeah. Paleontology is paleo is old, basically the study of old fossilized things, yeah. uh, which can be human related because paleoanthropology studies the origins of humankind right yeah but they didn't exist at the same time as dinosaurs definitely not um at most people were starting to look human and and diverging from apes yeah i mean it varies but three to i would say maybe even two to seven or eight million years ago that's true yeah. Now, you, you can look at a long line of – this isn't a paleoanthropology podcast or yeah. radio show, but it's turning into that. Um, you can look at a long line of descent because there wasn't one time when yeah. you had an ape that had a human child. Ah. <laughs> it didn't happen that way. So so it's, it's, it's kind of fluid on where you look at how far back are we going and calling this you know the human line. I mean you can go all the way back to the first single-celled organism as far as part of the human ancestral line yeah. because we all descended from the same thing, right? That's true. So, and that was only 6,000 years ago, right? Oh, well, that's, <laughs> again, another topic. Um, something I like to think about while we're talking about human origins and evolution yeah. is that we – Anybody listening to this right now yeah. is from a long line of successful progenitors. You're yeah. from a long line. You might be the last in your line. Probably. I might be the last in my line. I don't know. <laughs> but you know, if, if you're alive right now yeah. or anybody you've ever met, yeah. they are the end at that point in time of a successful line of evolution and, yeah. uh, and breeding, going all the way back to the first single-celled organisms or whatever started life on this planet. Wow. Isn't that amazing to think about? Yeah. And yeah. now we are here, you know, with, you know, our president and everything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying we haven't regressed in evolution just a little bit. But uh, anyway, um, I'll say this one more time because we've Ooh. got about 15, 16 minutes to go wow. here. But uh, call in with your questions, 775-515-4141. Uh, send me an email, chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Let yeah. me know that you're listening. Uh, I want to try to gauge what kind of audience we have here. Yeah. Uh, you can send in a tweet, as I said before, Archeowebby, A-R-C-H-E-O-W-E-B-B-Y. And uh, ArcPodNet is the Archaeology Podcast Network. I can check both of those, yeah. A-R-C-H-P-O-D-N-E-T. So, wow. um, Wait, before we go on, can I just say this is just like you know what I always imagined college radio to be? <laughs> <laughs> like literally. It's, it's very similar, I'm sure. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not bad. I almost feel like we should have brought some records. I know, I know. Well, there are records here, so. Uh, you know what the craziest part is about working in that bookstore was? Hmm. Let's see, Dale Carnegie. Um, I forgot the, um, like, How to Win Friends or whatever. Mm-hmm. They actually have a record version of that. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> record audiobook. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So back to dinosaurs real quick. <laughs> uh, paleontology, basically the study of dinosaurs. Yeah. Dinosaurs died out. We always like to say 65 million years ago, but that's actually a little bit fluid. Yeah. Uh, it was probably a little bit later than that. Not everything went away simultaneously. But yeah. that being said, especially considering the fact that birds are evolved from dinosaurs. Yeah, so something survived. Right. Yeah. So, um, but so I guess humans did coexist with dinosaurs because <laughs> there were birds. Right. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, so human archaeology, A-R-C-H-E-O or A-E-O, depending on who you're talking <laughs> to. Uh, is is Latin, or I'm sorry, Greek for human. Ah. So study of humans is archaeology. So anything human-related, no matter how far back, yeah. is archaeology, right? As long as humans were involved, they were involved in the creation or use or reuse of a site, then that's archaeology. Yeah. Um, archaeology is a subfield of anthropology in this country. and other places, it's kind of its own department. Oh, it is? Yeah, like in England, I think archaeology is more of a more of a hard science than it is part of the anthropology, which is more of philosophy or social science. So anthro is Latin for human, 
and it's the study of humans is anthropology. So the four field approach they call it is um, basically under anthropology, yeah, archaeology, um, bio uh, bioanthropology, which is basically the study of the physical processes of bones and things like yeah. that. And then, uh, wait, you mean physical anthropology? Yeah, physical anthropology. Well, bioanthropology or physical anthropology. I've seen oh, it right. both ways. <laughs> and then cultural anthropology, yeah, which is the study of you know all of our cultural it's, things that we do from uh from how we use things to how we see things to music that we create so basically know. fancy um cult, fancy sociology basically yeah <laughs> and then linguistics oh. linguistics is also part of that four field approach so my god there actually at the bookstore when i was working there there's actually someone who just graduated with a master's degree in linguistics nice yeah nice <laughs> Which is a weird thing to have a degree in just just linguistics. You think you'd focus on a language, but I guess you can study linguistics from the standpoint yeah. of basically linguistical archaeology, where you're you're going through and you're saying, well, these yeah. word origins, how do these have a, yeah. you know, how do these have a mix, you know, going back. It is interesting though how most of us ended up in you know going for anthropology, and then you end up in CRM archaeology because you need an actual job. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, and this this actually brings up something um, as far as linguistics goes. It brings up something that's interesting to me about all the fields of, under anthropology. Yeah. Um, so all four of them is we do all kind of do the same thing, and when you take all four of these fields approaches and you bring them into a same story. You can really tell a lot about somebody you know, you, you, you somebody who lived hundreds or thousands of years ago. Yeah. Because if you take linguistics, you can take language and you can start working that back and yeah. find out where do these common or where does the language split off, where do things start to change. So you can you can pick a time frame there. Yeah. You can do the same thing with uh, physical attributes. If there's been enough change there, you can oh, say yeah. how have these genes propagated through the system. You know, looking at DNA stuff like oh, that. Oh, I thought you were about to say talking about the landscape. <laughs> Well, I'm, I'm getting there. Oh, yeah, right. so you can do the same thing from a cultural standpoint, looking at stories. Yeah, you know where do these uh, where do these two cultures have similarities in their stories? Does that mean yeah. they split off at some point? Yeah, back in the past, you can start looking at that. That adds a little bit more to the timeline, and then archaeology starts looking at the actual sites and locations and all the artifacts yeah. there and the landscape associated with it. So, you know, you take all these factors together. People are like, how do archaeologists know that this is true? How do they know? <laughs> because it's not just archaeology. It's, it's relative dating, we call it, or yeah. sort of like relational dating. So we'll take all these different sources and we got, okay, so this dates from here to here. This dates from here to here. This dates from here to here. Where does all this overlap? Yeah. Now we know how long ago it was and we have a lot more pieces to the puzzle. You know, it's interesting. If people are like interested and more interested in this subject, I can always recommend um, Kevin Fagan's books. Is yeah, Kevin Fagan? Brian Fagan. Brian Fagan. Yeah. Oh, I knew it was something like that. <laughs> yeah. No, he's a researcher. Where's he at? Down in San Diego or no, LA somewhere? No, he retired. Um, he but he was. Years ago. Yeah. yeah, he was at UC Santa Barbara, I think. No, okay. wait. Or was he at one of the Cal, Cal Polys? Yeah. Well, either way, he's writing a lot of really popular books on, like, really easy to read books on. Yeah. Uh, That's on, why I suggested it. Yeah. It's basically on anthropology because it's kind of the full study. Yeah. Yeah. So if you ever wanted to like, the, um, what was it? He wrote that book in California I had to study. I think it's called Before California. Yeah, which is yeah. like a very um, fluffy – well, I thought it was fluffy. <laughs> it's a little fluffy, but it's but that's what you need that, you know, because yeah. you don't want an academic text to sit there and read sometimes. Oh, I know. But I like the way he starts that book because I'm pretty sure that's the book where each chapter starts with – Yeah, a little Kind vignette. of like a story. Yeah. yeah. Like he goes back in time yeah. to a certain time period and imagines what a scenario would be like. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for whatever he's about to talk about. Yeah. Which was really cool, I thought. So, yeah. yeah. Well, um, coming up to the end here. So, <laughs> Richie, what is uh, – I, I was going to ask you. Um, yeah. What is a place that you haven't worked that you would really like to work? Is there anything that you would just like – if you could just go anywhere and do anything? Even from an academic standpoint, let's look at the whole planet. Where's where's something that you would like to eventually do some work at? Not just visit, but actually do some more research on. Honestly? I am really bored by most other archaeology outside of the Great Basin. Like that's the thing. Like I didn't realize when I went to field school that I was like that was the great part, the western edge of the Great Basin. Yeah. And I really started to like it. And when I first got this job in, you know, the Ruby Pipeline, I'm like, ah, oh, I don't want to go to Nevada. And then I got here, and it's like, oh wow. Yeah. It's like just basically just like where I was. Right. <laughs> so I am definitely a Great Basin archaeologist. Nice. And I'm not nice. that interested. Yeah. <laughs> I can't help it. I really like this old mining stuff. It's good to know. Yeah. yeah. I It's interesting what the Great Basin's done to me because when I was in college, yeah. uh, this is why I went to Africa for my field school. Yeah. 
I was always really more interested in going back as far back as we can and learning the answers to the first questions. Really? That's what I wanted to know. Yeah. Oh. And, and that's why I never took the field school that my school offered. It was a historic site from, <gasps> I want to say, the 1800s in North Dakota. Oh, that would have been cool. Now I think it would have been cool, right? <laughs> but at the time, I was like, I need to go farther back. But now, as I've come to the Great Basin, because I also think mining stuff is actually really cool. Yeah. I mean, this stuff is sometimes like less than 100 years old. <laughs> but it's really neat because when you can get onto an archaeology site and see maybe six artifacts yeah. and then practically place the year that this, that this site was yeah. actually used – you know, because a lot of these mining sites, they were only used for a very short period of time unless, oh, they, yeah. unless they were successful. Which right? is very un- uncommon. Very <laughs> uncommon, yeah. So, I mean, I think that's why gambling got popular here in Nevada because <laughs> people are already used to gambling, yeah. you know, with trying to find, you know, ore, ore deposits and whatever they were looking for. You know, it's like that mining book that you suggested to me years ago, the one that's out of print. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. God. If Riches to Rest? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was like, you know, the, God, I love reading that. I literally read that in like an afternoon. <laughs> yeah, check out Riches to Rest. I, I think it's, the last name is Twitty, uh, the guy that wrote it. Yeah, ah. something like that. But Riches to Rest is the name of the book. So yeah. um, it's really great, especially for people who want to, um, who, who go out into the Nevada countryside yeah. and you see these old mining sites. Yeah. He's got tables in the back of this book that are like, hey, if you see this thing and it measures this by this and it's got yeah. screw hole pattern that looks like this. It was this. Yeah. You know, and you could tell exactly what it was. Yeah. You know, don't take anything off the site and don't dig anything on the site. <laughs> Just appreciate it for what it is and yeah. let other people appreciate it. But it's a, it's a really cool um, really cool write-up on on historic mining and, and hard rock mining and, yeah. and, uh, and, and all the stuff associated yeah. with it. And I think it's interesting that I, like, read that, you know, after I graduated. Because, like, a lot of the books I read when I was, like, you know, going through undergrad and grad were, like, my mm-hmm. God. I just want to, yeah. like, roll my eyes back. Like, who yeah. is it that you don't like? Was it Bruce Trigger? Oh, my God. <laughs> it's not that I don't like the Trigger book, but it's just that theory gets so mind-numbingly boring sometimes. Yeah, it's you like, know? you know, if they in- intersperse stuff like, you know, like Riches to Rust, you know, yeah. people might stick with it more. I know, I know. <laughs> well, that goes back to our educational system, which, again, is is another topic entirely. Yeah. So uh, I think one of the things that I would do if money yeah. and time and, you know, permitting were no, <laughs> were no object – I still like to know the origins of things. But now, really? while I would jump at the chance to go do paleoanthropology in yeah. Africa again, I just – if I won the lottery, yeah. I would try to fund a field school out there and just say, let me work with you guys. Like yeah. I'll, I'll put real people who have studied that stuff on it, yeah. and I'll pay for them to be there. But I just want to be there as well. You know, I'm not going to be like I, – I just want to work. I just want to be there while they're discovering things and help yeah. along because I really love that stuff. Oh, I really love filling in those pictures. Wait, I did know? just think of something. Like in the far future, once um, once all the radioactivity has gone away, yeah. it'd be cool to look around Chernobyl or whatever town that is. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. like look at that little time capsule. That would be pretty interesting, I think. Yeah. Especially as someone who really enjoys watching, not necessarily playing the Metro games. Well, th- just towns like Chernobyl. I mean, I've seen video and stuff of that. There's been a lot of things produced about that place. Yeah. I mean, just everybody up and left. Yeah. You know, it's just like a time capsule for. Which is like, what yeah. makes it cool. I know. It makes it really cool. And like, you know, and that's the thing. Like, if people went in there and just took away all the artifacts, it wouldn't be cool anymore. <laughs> and that's you know why archaeologists get mad when you loot sites. I know. I know. You know? <laughs> so, luckily, it's still highly radioactive. And then people can't go in there yet. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, you know, in America, like, you know, you have similar situations, not the radioactivity, but the time capsule quality on most of these bases. Mm -hmm. Like, um, like, where does Alan, like, take those tours? Oh, it's China Lake Naval Weapons Center. Yeah. Yeah, that's where I worked right after we worked in El Centro. Yeah. Like, um, I know my buddy said he, like, found intact baskets, you know, and stuff like that. You know, but think about, you know, if someone had taken that home, of course, it's going to turn the dust, you know, and stuff. But it, like, wouldn't be as cool. <laughs> yeah. So that whole area, it's uh, 1.1 million acres in the eastern Mojave yeah. near Ridgecrest, California. And uh, the Navy took that whole area over back in the 40s, yeah. uh, mid-40s, I think it was. And I think it was right after World War II uh, or as that was wrapping up, they, yeah. they took that place over really as a weapons testing area so they yeah. could – Basically, fire weapons off in the middle of nowhere, and nobody cares. Uh, except some people care because we're living there. So there's these homesteads that we recorded. Oh, that there were. Oh yeah, we recorded a few homesteads right near Ridgecrest. Wow. That nobody's ever recorded before, and it's just like people up and took off. Neat. You know. Now there's craters there. The houses yeah. are gone because they were early targets for the military. <laughs> Before they knew what they were doing, right? Yeah. So it's not like they're in perfect condition, but there are a lot of things there. Like with one of these sites, we spent three days recording it, you yeah. know, and had what we call diagnostic artifacts. So anything that gives you a date, basically, or yeah. information about the manufacturer, 
that's a diagnostic artifact, and we had hundreds of them. I mean, hundreds. It Neat. was ridiculous. So, anyway, uh, yeah. the point that Richie's making here is some of these military installations that have all this land, yeah, basically blocks off the public from going there. Yeah. and if they did it early enough to, you know, obviously pre-internet, pre, yeah, seeing monetary value in this kind of <laughs> stuff. That's not to say ranchers didn't pick up. Native yeah. American artifacts and stuff like that, because it was kind of cool to see that laying on the ground, yeah. and then they'd pick it up and take it home. But you know, as more people came to these areas and things actually had started having a monetary value, and you could sell it around the world, now people pick that stuff up all the time. <laughs> so when they were blocked off in the '40s and '50s because of military installations, it really was a, a in a way, a way to preserve it. Yeah, yeah, yay! I know. What, another preservation technique I heard of. Where was I? Uh, might have been grad school or made it might have been well before that. It all kind of blends yeah. together now. But on the East Coast, there's a lot of uh, a lot of digging that gets done because of the way the yeah. geology works. Uh, here in the West, uh, at least in the high desert, not not necessarily yeah. California, but at least in the high desert, we just do survey because there's very, very little soil creation, right? So uh, things are just sitting on the surface, and they have been for ten, fifteen thousand years or more. Yeah. So the so we have that, but out in the east, there's a lot of sand and things like that, and, and stuff is created, and so you have to dig. Well, one of the ways to preserve a deep site, like if yeah. you dig way down, maybe you're auger testing, you get down a couple meters or something, one of the ways to preserve a deep site is to actually build over the top of it. Yeah. Oh, because, I thought you know, say that. Yeah, because it means we, it's, we can't get to it, but yeah. we can at least dig it up. We can at least put a huge cement slab over the top yeah. of it. Now, the trick is... Is anybody going to know that site is there in 50 years when we take that cement slab back out? You know, It depends. Hopefully they do. Chances are something else is going to go in there. But if they decide to put a tall building right there, then they're probably going to dig through the site. Well, that's the way they mitigated um, the oldest archaeological site in the San Francisco Bay Area. Yeah? Yeah, it's actually a mall. Yeah. You know, it's a mall, and it used to be a shell mound that um, wow. they think dates back 10,000 years. So before the bay even filled in when it was still a valley. That is insane. Yeah, and like yeah. you know, like so, and they left a lot of the bodies in there too, because it was a very toxic site. Ironically, it was a paint factory that produced Indian red. Wow. Yeah, for years. Yeah. <laughs> okay then. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we're nearing the end of the show here. Uh, I want to thank Richie for joining me down here in Carson City. Uh, not a. Yeah, I was uh, kind of worried about how the drive was going to be down here from Reno because yeah. of all the snow we had yesterday. Yeah. But it was nice and good. So yeah. come on down to Carson. It's not too bad. <laughs> Although it did ruin my drinking. I was going to go out drinking and then it was like snowing. I'm like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> very nice. Very nice. So, all right. Well, uh, we've got a couple more. Uh, just so everybody knows, I've got a, a really great show next week with somebody who is from the Institute for Canine Forensics over in California. And they yeah. use dogs to find um, uh, basically cremains, which are yeah. human remains that have been cremated. So we call them cremains. And <laughs> there are people in the fires that obviously burned up in the fires, so they're yeah. looking for them. Oh. But there were also lots of people who had cremains. I know one family had like five, I think, in an article I read because it's like both their parents and like a child or something. Yeah. And they were all sitting on the mantle and they didn't have time to grab them during Ooh. the uh, the last big fire, the campfire. All right. And uh, – and the dogs went and helped find those, mm. and and so they did that. So, um, so we're going to have one of them on. I've talked to this woman before. Her name is Lynn. Yeah. Uh, really great, really interesting. So we're going to have her on. And then the, I think on uh, the following week, I'm going to be at the Society for California Archaeology. So Yay. we're going to have uh, <laughs> we're going to have another show here in its place, and uh, and then the week after that, I've got the new president of the. Society for California Archaeology, Michelle Cross. She was actually supposed to be today, but there was a scheduling conflict. Oh, so. that was today. That was today, yeah. Oh. So and I, think it's, I think it's later on in March now. And then when Richie and I go on this project, yeah. um, I'll have a few other episodes um, brought in from the uh, Archaeology Podcast Network that I'm going to yeah. play on this radio show while we're doing that. So, uh, again, uh, I want to thank... Richie, for uh, for coming in, and uh, yeah. thank everybody for listening. Um, you can always contact me, Chris, at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com, uh, at archaeowebby, A-R-C-H-E-O-W-E-B-B-Y, um, or arcpodnet, at arcpodnet, A-R-C-H-P-O-D-N-E-T. Um, those handles also work on Instagram. They work on Twitter. Um, on Facebook, we're uh, facebook.com forward slash arcpodnet. And you can find Richie and I at that channel. Um, just, again, uh, like the page so you get a notification when we go live. And you can interact with us, answer questions. We call that show, You Call This Archaeology, because we talk about all kinds of different things that are essentially possibly not related to archaeology, but end up yeah. being related to archaeology. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, 
again, join us for those. And uh, thank you. And, and we want to take your calls. This is a call-in show. so We do? We do. We actually do want to take your calls. <laughs> you know, we both do podcasts, and we don't get a chance to interact with people. So we want to do calls. We want to take in calls. So please call in next time. I'll give you the phone number for next time. Write it down, 775-515-4141. And we will see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Archaeology Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. You can provide feedback using the contact button on the right side of the website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash archaeology. Or you can email chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Please like and share the show wherever you saw it so more people can have a chance to listen and learn. Send us show suggestions and follow ArcPodNet on Twitter and Instagram. This show was produced by the Archaeology Podcast Network. Opinions are solely those of the hosts and guests of the show. However, the APN stands by their hosts. Special thanks to the band Sea Hero for letting us use their song, I Wish You'd Look. Check out their albums on Bandcamp at seahero.bandcamp.com. Check out our next episode in two weeks, and in the meantime, keep learning keep discovering new things, and keep listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Have an awesome day. This show is produced and recorded by the Archaeology Podcast Network, Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle in Reno, Nevada at the Reno Collective. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Bro.